What do I have here? A hammer. Yeah. Now, I'll admit to you, this is a tool I'm not qualified to use. Uh, this isn't what I do for a living. I work on computer. You can hand me a computer, and I can tell you it's a good computer or a bad computer. I really don't know much about hammers, but I think it's a pretty fancy hammer. My son bought it when he went to Puerto Rico to do, they were going to work on roofs. And see, I think with a hammer like this, if you couldn't drive a roof and nail with one hit, you missed it, right? See, it's got this fancy little nail holder here. You know what that's for? You put a nail right there, and then you just hit to set the nail and drive it all in once one hit. Isn't that neat? So I could, if I tried to do that, what would happen is I'd have that nail in, and it'd be about that far away from where it was supposed to be. Right? So I have to hold the nail. And so now this is a nice heavy hammer, and when you start tapping, it hits pretty hard. Right? So I'd have to hold that nail up there. And what happens when you start holding the nail and you start hitting with the hammer? The next thing you know, bang. All right? You hit that thumb. Oh, and look at this. This fan's got all these grace to hold your thumb right there when you hit it. <laughs> okay? So you're hammering along like with your hammer like that and you hit your thumb. What do you say? Ouch! Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what you should say. Do you ever hear people say other things? Yeah. Yeah? Don't don't tell us. <laughs> okay. Cuz yeah, you know, it's like there's a there must be a nerve that goes from here all the way through to right here. Right? And as soon as you hit that thumb, something has to come out. You just have to say something. And you know, there's one there's one down here on your toe too. Right? And you stub your toe at night and you don't have your shoes on. Ouch! I hope that's what you say. Well, sometimes people say other things because they're angry that they hit their thumb. Right? And somebody, it's the hammer's fault or it's my fault or whatever. And it's just not enough just to say, ouch. They just think they have to say more than that. If you hit your thumb and you yell, ouch, who are you talking to? Huh? Your buddies? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. Well, who hears you? God. Oh, wow. We're doing great here. That's right. God hears every single thing that you say. So even when that little nerve from your thumb sets off your mouth, you still have to be careful about what you say. Because even if nobody else is around for you to say it to, you're saying it to God. And God hears you say, ouch! Well, and He cares. Oh, you hurt yourself. I'll heal that. I'll make that better. And the pain goes away after a while. It really does, I promise. And God, but God is listening. And He wants to hear you say beautiful things and wonderful things and things that let people know when you say them that you're a Christian. Okay? That all makes sense? A little bit. It'll make more sense at the end of the message to you, but not to them. Well, good morning. It is my great pleasure and privilege to greet you in Jesus' name this morning. 
And my, my brother Jonathan, my pastor, other pastor at Bethesda, he kind of thinks it's pretty funny that I couldn't drive a nail with a jackhammer if he gave it to me. But he doesn't do much with computers either, so it's all in what we get skilled at. But we all should be skilled with our, our use of words. Turn with me to Matthew 12. Blessed to see so many of you here this morning. I see um, a few people from my own flock here. I don't know what you all are thinking. Uh, maybe you're thinking, oh, there's just no escaping that guy. But hopefully you saw I was on the schedule and came anyway. I'll look on the bright side. Right? But I'm blessed to see you all here. I'll go down to verse 34 in Matthew 12. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, I was here just a few weeks ago, and I kind of introduced you all to a series I've been doing, which we've been calling the Have a Ready Answer series. And I'm going to continue with that today. Um, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and with fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So what are these questions that we're supposed to have an answer to? What are the questions we might expect to hear from people who don't believe in Jesus or from people who are seekers or for other Christians who are walking a different kind of Christian walk than we are? Do we have answers when we're asked? Are we prepared? And well, this morning, we're going to look at something a little basic, kind of a basic question. We're going to say, have a ready answer, words. About the words that we use. So do the things that we say matter? You know, you've probably been there. You're having a conversation with someone, and they literally use foul language as punctuation. You know, when it's not profanity, it's the name of the Lord. And, you know, they're not angry or injured. You know, they didn't just stub their toe or hit their finger with a hammer. It's simply a normal part of their speech. It's a terribly sad thing. And finally, you reach a point where you decide you either have to walk away or you have to say something. And my, my wife likes to say, you know, I know him. He's a friend of mine, and I'd appreciate it if you didn't talk about him like that. I thought that was a pretty good answer when people take the Lord's name in vain. Well, but, but now you've done it. You said something and they're offended. Uh, you don't think they're a Christian because of the way they speak. Or you've insulted their intelligence. <laughs> You're a prude, all right, because everyone says these things. You do too. And you're a legalist. You're just being holier than now to criticize the way I speak 
There are curse words in the Bible. In fact, there is a teaching out there that says God really doesn't care what you say. He just cares about how you mean it. It's sort of the heart is all that matters for the tongue. And there are two defenses of this. The first is there's profanity in Scripture. You know, primarily Paul's use of the word the King James translates as dung in Philippians 3.8. But some others. Oh, but all these have been toned down in, in our translations. So, so it's okay for Christians to use that kind of language to, to make a point. In fact, when I was in college studying English, we studied swear words, cursing and swearing, and how they're used in the English language. And you know, it's just a, it's part of the language, right? It's just a valid part of speech. The second, unsurprisingly, is that we're just too literal in translating the verses in the Bible about speech. Well, you know, those verses don't prescribe specific words, just using language that tears people down. You know, whatever you say when you stub your toe in the dark, that's certainly not a sin, right? Well, let's start with the first argument. Let's start, start with language in Scripture. Strong language appears in the Bible. You know, the Old Testament is about 609,000 words long, and it spans a period of about 4,000 years. So in all that, well, Saul insults Jonathan's mother. Goliath calls David a dog. Now, these are recorded statements of ungodly men. You know, David calls himself a dog in Saul's eyes. You know, none of these things needed to be cleaned up by the translators. Those are all strong insults in Middle Eastern cultures to this day. Couples' relations, violent acts, bodily functions, they're spoken of in matter-of-fact terms with no vulgarity in the Scripture. Song of Solomon has a lot of erotic imagery, but none of it would be considered obscene in, in any culture. Isaiah makes a reference to the people's uncleanness, which we would find pretty rude today, along the lines of Paul's statement in Philippians, which, by the way is the only defense of this idea in the about 185,000 words of the New Testament written over a period of about 100 years. We are told that people utter oaths and curses, but they're never repeated. So if we were to use, let's say, strong language, not even profanity, as infrequently as the Bible does, this would never be an issue. The, the argument is totally disingenuous. It's not intended to prove any point. It's designed to distract and to shut down any serious discussion about what the person is actually saying. So what about the other argument? What about literalism? Are we taking the scriptures too literally? You know, there is, after all, no specific list of words that we're not supposed to say in the Bible. It wouldn't do a whole lot of good because they'd be in Hebrew or in Greek, right? You know, specific sounds and combinations of letters can't necessarily be sinful. That's all, that's all cultural. All right, well, let's look at some scripture. Colossians 3.8 says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now, this is culturally clear enough that pretty much every English translation uses the phrase filthy communication or filthy talk. 
You know, even the message, it turns this sentence into a paragraph, but it still ends with profanity and dirty talk. The ESV, the English Standard Version, uses the word obscene. So what's obscene? Well, obscene means disgusting to the senses, repulsive. That's pretty cross-cultural, isn't it? Offensive or outrageous to accepted standards of decency or modesty. That even takes culture into account. Every culture has words that are used in anger or meanness or have an indecent or immodest meaning. We're not to use those words. Colossians 3.8 in the ESV says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So everyone says these things, goes the argument. Well, Paul recognizes this. Everyone says those things, but now we must stop. Now you must put them all away. Ephesians 5.4 says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. So the message in Ephesians is the same, but it seems to go further. No foolish talking or jokes? Does, does being a Christian mean being humorless? And you know, my father-in-law likes to talk about the Puritans. They were the long faces. People called them in the 18th century, the long faces, because they never smiled. They had long faces. Well, let's step back and give that verse a little more context. If we read Ephesians 5, 3, in the New American Standard here, it says, but sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So the context of sexual immorality and impurity makes the problem with jesting pretty clear. Filthy words lead to foolish talk and vulgar jokes. Profanity comes from profane, to treat something sacred with abuse, irreverence, or contempt. To desecrate or to take something sacred and make it not sacred. So Profane words take something sacred or natural gifts of God and treat them as a joke in a disrespectful way. Rather than joking about the things that God has given, we should be giving thanks for them. And we can have plenty of humor in our lives without doing this. There's much more scripture about our speech, but just from these verses, it's clear that there are words and kinds of speech that we should not use. There's no list, but every child in every culture knows what those words are and why we're not to use them. Have you heard anyone say anything else when they hit their thumb with the hammer? Yes. I think that was the smallest child. Yeah. We've heard other things, and we knew that it was wrong. So... But their argument is that they're, they're partly right. If we stop at the literal meaning of these verses, if we decide that we're just not going to use certain words, we miss the point. Right? We're, we're still in trouble then. So why are words important? You know, Jesus went far beyond what Paul and James said. Jesus said, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak 
They shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. That sounds, that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? How many words do you say in a day? Were any of them idle? Do you even remember what they were? You know, the Greek word here, argos, is inactive, unemployed, lazy, useless, barren, idle, slow. You know, we won't be judged merely for offensive or even blasphemous things we might say. We'll be judged for the things that we say that are useless. More to the point, we'll be judged for words that do no good. The truth is quite the opposite of God not caring about what we say. Words have a very important purpose to God, and both his own words and our words. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God's word is always true, always has a purpose, and always accomplishes his purpose. God does not say things lightly or idly. And we are also given the opportunity to use words for God's purposes. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. So why are our words so important to God that he will judge us for each and every one? Again, how many words do we speak each day? How many do we remember? How many are remembered by those that we speak them to? How are they remembered? Well, let's look at some of the reasons that God is so interested in our words. First, our words reflect our hearts. Our spiritual state is evident in the things that we say. Matthew 12, 35, Jesus says, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. That person who is offended because you question their faith because of the way they speak, well, they can question your right to judge them, but do they understand that Jesus has the same question? What about us? People make judgments about our hearts from the things that we say. Are they hearing good things? Don't we have plenty of good things to talk about? Let me turn over to Matthew 15. And we'll go down to verse 10. And Jesus called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. And then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? 
Do ye not understand that whatsoever entereth into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault with false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. When, when we say evil things, we literally defile ourselves. We make ourselves unfit for worship. Our evil thoughts manifest themselves as evil words and evil works. And they also influence others around us. But we have the mind of Christ. We can change our words because we have had a change in our hearts. So remember our earlier reference about putting off the filthy speech in Colossians 3, 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil con concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked some time, and ye lived in them. But now ye put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. We, we put it off. We get rid of it. We stop doing it because we've been changed. So I didn't have the blessing to grow up like these little children in a home where these words hopefully were never spoken and where it was known why you wouldn't say such things. My parents said such things all the time. By the time I was an adult, I could curse and swear fluently and with great accuracy. And through my association with my friends and other people growing up, I learned even more to be an expert in foul language. But Jesus enables me to put that off. I don't need those words to express myself. I don't need them as punctuation, surely. And I have a changed heart that makes me want to please him with my speech. So we have the ability to make that change, to put those things away. Words are important to God because words build up and tear down. We're given words to work God's purposes. And his purpose for us is always to build each other up and never to tear each other down. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Let everything you say build up and give grace to those who are listening. Don't only not say bad things, but use your words to edify and to give grace. Well, how do we do that? Well, we use the words which God provides. Isaiah 54 says, The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned that I may know how to sustain a word with a word, him who is weary. How many times have you had someone 
cry on your shoulder or a friend who's just broken, a family member, your wife, your children, and you just don't know what to say. But God promises he'll give you the words that you need. You know, often it seems like we only have chastisement to offer people who are struggling. But God can provide us with the word that will build up. And we don't learn to help one another through classes or self-help books. Every day, God teaches us more words and gives us more grace. Do we use those words and give that grace? Words are important to God because they're how we reach out to God. The things we say are important because we use our words to talk to God. Let me turn back to Matthew 6. And down to verse 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What kind of words do we use to talk to God? Do we curse and demand? Or do we give thanks and humble ourselves before our mighty creator? Do we repeat meaningless words over and over again? Or do we pour out to him the desires of our hearts? Romans 8.26 says, Likewise the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts and knows what the minds of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When we can't find the words to reach out to God. The Spirit provides them for us. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We can use our words to ask God boldly for our needs because we know that he listens. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in bonds, and that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We use words to appeal to God on behalf of others, and to give them strength to speak boldly for the gospel. Words are important to God because words are how God comes to us. God speaks to us as clearly as we speak to one another. Isaiah 54 says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear, 
to hear as those who are taught. He speaks directly to us in thoughts and in visions and conscience. And he speaks to us both through his written word and the word embodied in Jesus. John 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John 1.14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of only the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. By his words, by words, we answer God's call to us. Romans 10, 13, and 17 say, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so then by faith cometh by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. Words are important to God because they identify us as belonging to God. The words we use identify us as belonging to God and not to the enemy. His name is a word for our identity, showing our adoption into his family. Exodus 27 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And there are two meanings here. I remember several years ago we were sitting at a table with family, and my two of my relatives kept saying, Oh my, oh my, you know what they were saying. And it was like peppered throughout the conversation. And my daughter, I think she was still in grade school, and she piped up and said, Don't say that. You can't you're taking the Lord's name in vain. I was so proud of her. And they wanted to argue with this little girl about, well, no, that's not taking the Lord's name in vain. Boy, isn't it? There are two meanings to this verse. We will not misuse God's name first. You, would you use your mother's or your father's name as a curse word or an exclamation? Oh, Dorothy. Yeah, it doesn't really have much uh, power to it, does it? <laughs> but you just wouldn't do that. You, would, you wouldn't use your, your parents' names to, to express your anger or your surprise. or your. Why would you use God's name like that? And how much more then should we not misuse God's name? But the second and, and most important meaning there is that we will not take God's name to no effect. You will not take my name for nothing. You will not take my name and not be changed by it. Acts eleven twenty six says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. We take that name, Christians. We don't take the name of Menno. That's a, a branch. That's something we put on the church. We took the name of Christ. We are Christians. The name, one of the songs this morning said, that name makes me belong to the family. That's my marker, that I'm part of the family. To be a Christian is to represent Jesus. So what do people think of Jesus when they hear us speak? 
And how are we to change them when we take his name? 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, our conversation is not just our speech. It's everything that we do. In everything we do, we need to be holy, to be entirely good. So does that apply to the things that we say? Words are important to God because words are how we bring others to God. Our words are how we fulfill God's purpose, bringing new disciples to him. Let me turn over to Acts 2. Let me start right at the beginning. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And now when this was noised abroad, and the multitude came together, and were confounded, because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And now we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? The first public miracle of the church was a miracle of words. To tell the gospel in multiple languages. On that day, 3,000 people were saved. Do, do we even need to ask how important our words are? Romans 10, 13 says, For whomsoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So how shall they hear? They will hear because they hear you preaching the word of God. We are all sent to someone, even in our own families, in every word we speak, every conversation, every book we read, message we listen to, is building to that day when we are called to give the gospel to someone on God's behalf. Words are important to God because words show our allegiance. This really boils down to what our answer is. Why don't you speak like that? Because I belong to Christ. 
We shouldn't say this or that or speak in this sort of way. We're careful of our words because the things we say show our allegiance to Christ. Not because there's a list of bad words, but because the words we say show that we belong to Christ. Our words can show a double-mindedness. They can show hypocrisy. James 3, 6 through 10 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and birds and serpents and all the things of the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue no man can tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith we curse men, which are made out of the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. You know, this, this broken witness, first showing good and then showing evil, as well as doing one thing and, and saying another, that is idle speech. You turn over to Matthew 12 again. And down to verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, 
and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What was the idle word here that set off this, this basically cursing against these thoughts? What was the idle word? This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. The Pharisees saw a glorious miracle from God. This man was beset by Satan, and he was free. He was healed. And they saw this miracle. They were standing there to watch it happen. And they didn't consider it, let alone believe it. They weren't moved by it. They weren't even happy for the man who was healed. Instead, they rejected the miracle by crediting it to Satan. Their words did no good, and their words were false and malicious. Their thoughts were selfish and lazy. And in reply, Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Their words showed that they were against Jesus. Each and every day, we are given blessings. Some days, we actually see miracles. Do we stop and give thanks and praise? Do we point out to everyone who will listen all the things that God has done for me today? All the things that God has done for you. Look at all the things that God has done for you. Let me tell you more about him. Do we give thanks and praise? Do we see and seize an opportunity to share the gospel every time that we are blessed? Do our words show that we're with Jesus or against him? What do we say?